0: Hey guys, um, this is a Bible study. Um, we study the Bible here, and um, we <laughs> to the point that some people think it's arduous and and that we go so slowly. And um, you know why can't you pick up the pace? Um, you know we've been doing this probably for six or seven years now, maybe longer. Uh, who knows? And, um, but I, I'm, I don't know, I, maybe I'm stubborn and hard headed, but I just, I, am not in a hurry. And, and I'm, Romans is, um, is such a wonderfully great book, and, and so we go very slowly through it. Well, we have arrived at a text, guys, that, um, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow smoke at you, we could spend 10 weeks on. I was preparing it this morning and, and taking a look at it, and I was thinking, uh, from there to go to there and to there, you know, and I thought 10, 12 weeks is what we really ought to spend on it. But I promise I'm going to try to do better than that. I'm going to try to be at around five or six. Um, but it's, it's really two verses. It's Romans 10, 9, and, and, um, uh, 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll work our way through it. But guys, these, these, these ver- uh, verses are famous. And they're not famous in the, in the fame kind of sense. They're, 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 I mean, how many of you Baptists had those sword drill things, you know, where you, you know, you did sword drills and, and, you know, it's ready, aim, you know, draw your sword or whatever it was. And, um, let me tell you, in every sword drill, these two verses are included. In, um, if you went through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and you went through their, their, um, their little thing. If you go through the navigators, uh, they're all going to ask you to memorize this text. This is this is a text that is um, probably next to Romans eight twenty eight, the most famous in Romans. Um, it's in the top ten, twelve in the New Testament. It's 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 famous because it's um well it it teaches the heart of the gospel. Um, it, it is the it is. The, it's a summary of the gospel. The content of the gospel is, is there. It is a definition of saving faith is, is packed into these two verses. And it is, um, for instance, guys, just, just take a look at verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you know how long I can spend on those three words? Jesus is Lord. Do you know how long we can spend on that? But guys, there is a tremendous amount of content that is packed into this, and we're going to take it, uh, you know, a little bit at the, at, at the time. And um, for those, if you're here for the first time, what I'm going to do tonight is completely unlike what we normally do on a Wednesday night. And you'll, I mean, if you don't believe me, then uh, on your way out, just stop somebody and say, is that what he does every week? Because that was awful. Um, it, it, it's, it's. We're, we're going to do something different. And I'll explain that in just a second. But um uh, because this is such a um a wonderful summary of the Christian gospel, I thought we should take some time and I wanted to introduce it in a rather unique way. Uh at least it is unique for me. Guys, um, I know that you've probably never heard of um FW Borum. Um, Frank Borum was a pastor in New Zealand and in Australia in the late 1800s and early uh, 1900s uh, these books not that one these books uh, are all uh, copyrighted in the 20s um, it's a, it's an interesting thing because uh, Frank Borum is a real stalwart in terms of orthodoxy and uh, Frank Borum started a, um, a series of sermons on Sunday nights that he entitled, that the, the series was entitled, Texts That Made History. Um, he began the series with text, uh, for instance, like Martin Luther's text. Everybody knows what Martin Luther's text is, don't you? Martin Luther's text is what? No, that's that's not his text. That is the that's something. What what is that's it? Where is that? That's Romans one seventeen. That's that's Martin Luther's text. That's known as Martin Luther's text. Um, Augustine's Augustine has the text. Uh, um, what was Augustine's text? Augustine's was uh, Romans uh, thirteen verses. Uh, 13 14 something like that what about um hudson taylor's hudson taylor had a text that's 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 called hudson taylor's text um is uh john 19. there's there's just several of those like that and and this guy did 125 of them <laughs> he he's he he took um i mean i could read you these these um these indices but i don't think you want to hear that but um, you know, um, John, um, oh, um, some names you might, uh, Abraham Lincoln's text, um, Joseph Addison's text. Have you ever heard of Joseph Addison? J.A.? Anyway, uh, Victor Hugo's text, John Owen's text, William Tyndale's text. There's 125 of these sermons, and I've got them all, but one. <laughs> I mean, I've got all the volume. There's five volumes, and I've and if I could find the fifth volume, I'd buy it. I've read all these. Uh, those 125 sermons were, yeah, were put into this series. This was the first one. And then they were so popular that they gotten in bigger editions. And they were, um, I think this one was published in 1920 and then, then the 20, 1922 one I don't have and then 24 and 26 and 28. 125 sermons on, uh, texts that made history. Now, guys, um, what I'm going to try to do tonight is really kind of take a little page out of F.W. Borum's. Book. That is, I want, I want to tell you, oh, by the way, what he would do with, say, um, uh, John Owens' text is that he would show you the text and then he would tell you the story around it. And that's what these sermons were. And they're, they're just, they're just great. I mean, he, uh, those are going to be a whole lot better than what you're going to hear tonight, but what I'm going to do is the same thing. I want to, I want to show you, um, why this text? Well, it's famous because of its content, guys. But it's uh, there's a story that's associated with it, and I'm sure there are numerous others. But the one that I want to tell you didn't didn't come out of those books. It came out of this book, "Brave Hearts Under Red Skies." You know about we live life under nothing but blue skies. Well, this guy is talking about red skies, and skies aren't blue when they're red. And these are all stories that are out of, taken out of war settings. The Vietnam War, the, the, the stories about the Vietnam War were just, they were just gross. There's some from World War I. There's some from, um, uh, there's one in here from the Revolutionary War. Um, but there's just, there are brave hearts under red skies when, when times were bad. And the story that I want to tell you tonight comes from this book. I mean, I didn't make this up. And if this guy's telling the truth, I'm telling you the truth. But the story I want to tell you comes from that book, and it has to do with our text. But may I say, in terms of unraveling this text and looking at its content, we won't start until next week, and it'll probably take us five or six weeks. So I'm adding a week on top of that. But I am fascinated with this story, and I hope you will be as well. I, I, can't, I can't promise you you will, and I, I this is kind of risky on my part. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that you will find the, the same kind of um, delight in this story as I did. And it's another war story. You know, i got to stop this. Um, I've really gotten quite carried away. Um, and by the way, this was a book given to me. Uh, just this past Christmas, um, by somebody for Christmas. Um, and so I read it while we were away, and, and, uh, it's just, it was just some wonderful. Anyway, the one I want to tell you is, is, is out of this, out of that book. But it's, it's going to, it, 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 it has at its center our text, which we will look at in terms of its content, really beginning next week. But first, I want to tell you the Jake, the Shazer story. His name was Jacob, but they called him Jake, Jake the Shazer. But before I tell you about Jake the shazer I need to tell you about somebody else, and that's what—that's uh, why this story is so marvelously unique. Guys, uh, by the time World War II had concluded, um, the the lowest, the lower estimates are that some 16 million people lost their lives. There are some estimates that would say it was as high as 24 million. People had died, and um, um, this these two people that I want to tell you about uh, were were among the combatants on the opposite sides of each other, um, who inflicted or at least sought to inflict um, maximum uh, fatality. They did everything they could to kill as many as they could, uh, and as I said, they they were on opposite sides of the war. Um, the first guy I want to tell you about, his name is Mitsuo Fuchida. Um, I wonder if any of you know the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. Oh, you're going to know who he is. Uh, you're going to know this guy. You just didn't know this was his name. He was born in 1902 and he was, he had become quite a, um, um, a, an ace, Uh, you know, a, a, um, a top gun in the Imperial Japanese Navy, he was one of their one of their top pilots and um, as a result of his his flying skills, uh, he was he was hand-picked. he was the unanimous choice to be the director or the flight commander of the planes that ultimately bombed Pearl Harbor. Um, Admiral Yamamoto, you might know that name. Admiral Yamamoto was the, um, was the genius behind Pearl Harbor. And it was, you do know what Pearl Harbor is, I hope. But, uh, you know, some kids in our youth program, Pearl Harbor, where'd that come from? Well, uh, I think you've got enough age on you that you know what Pearl Harbor was. But Yamamoto, who designed Pearl, or designed the attack on Pearl Harbor, um, handpicked uh, Mitsuo Fuchida to lead the 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 airplane attack the the air attack on um, on Pearl Harbor um, on November the 16th of 1941 a flotilla of ships and it's not important that you know which ships how many carriers I think there was uh, there was six aircraft uh, Japanese aircraft carriers and all these other boats that that uh, left on November the 16th from Japan, headed out to the sea in a diversionary tactic to try and... Uh, in fact, they had sent some passenger ships, the Japanese had, to test this particular path to make sure that they ran into nobody. And so they sent these, um, these really, these decoys, these passenger ships, over to the San Francisco in and, and these, and these uh, uh, routes where they found nobody else. And so that's the route that the, these, this flotilla of Japanese ships took on the 16th, and then they went into a radio silence and nobody knew where they were. Um, And then, of course, on December the 7th, um, early one Sunday morning, 360 planes flew off of the decks of uh, six Japanese aircraft carriers uh, headed towards Pearl Harbor. The man in charge of those 360 planes was a man by the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. Now, some of you uh, have seen the movie. Um, uh, well, actually, I'm a to little ahead of myself. There was um, uh, it was Fuchida's call to launch the. That is, I mean, once they got up there, and then they they got close. It was it was his call to say go or no go. It was Mitsuo Fuchida who said attack. And the Japanese word is in the little story, but I can't pronounce it. So. He's the one that said attack. But here's what I can pronounce. In fact, if you're a John Wayne fan, years ago, there was a movie called Tora, Tora, Tora. Anybody see that movie? Anybody? Okay, there's a few of you that saw the John Wayne flick, Tora, Tora, Tora. And it was about Pearl Harbor, of course. And uh, the term Tora, 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 uh, does not mean attack. It means tiger, tiger, tiger. And um, it was... It was the code words to to to, um, to radio back to Vice Admiral Nagumo that they had achieved complete surprise, and so after the, the word attack was given, the the uh, the pilot that said tora 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 that live in infamy in in, um, in American warlord war lore was Mitsuo Fuchida. It was Fuchida that said, attack. It was also Fuchida who said, Torah, Torah, Torah. Uh, indicating that the Japanese had achieved complete surprise. And of course, they did. And you know about all that happened that day, and we won't rehearse those facts, but um, um, as a result... Uh, 2,403 American soldier, uh, people were killed. And a number of ships, um, as you know, and, and again, none of that's really important. Um, but um, the Japanese had a had a plan. They executed their plan. And that plan was led, in terms of its execution stage, by a man by the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. Don't forget that, because this story... Um, involves him pretty pretty heavily Mitsuo Fuchida as a result of the surprise attack he was he became a, um, a national hero. Um, his name was was revered in Japan and uh, the 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 admiral that was in charge of the flotilla now Yamamoto stayed back in Japan but the, 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 the uh, Nagumo um, Nagamo, who was actually on and was leading the the flotilla, he and and, uh, Fuchida became national heroes. To the point that the emperor, uh, or Hirohito, invited them to come back and give them a personal account of the attack. Now, as you know, Japanese thought of Hirohito as a a god. And uh, one of the interesting parts about this story is that Fuchida... Um, when you entered uh, Hirohito's presence, you were not allowed to speak directly to him because he was a god. And so you had to speak to his translator and who gave it to him. And on one occasion, he became so flustered that he forgot the, the protocol and spoke directly to Hirohito. And he said the, it was far worse than anything that he experienced in, in at Pearl Harbor. Uh, it, I mean, his his disappointment was just a terrible thing and the stress and the strain that he felt as a result of um, speaking directly to the emperor was was, um, was far worse than any kind of um, uh, fear that he might have had when he attacked Pearl Harbor. Um, by the time the war had ended, most of, of Fuchida's um, flying buddies had all been killed. And many of them, had been killed at the Battle of Midway. Now, if you know anything about uh, the the World War II in that theater, the Battle of Midway was a turning point, and the and the the reason that the Americans won, that we won, the Allies won, is because we had intercepted some some uh, some communications between somebody, and were able to decode them and knew where they were, and and um, uh, took advantage of that information to surprise them and uh, a a um, a a group of airplanes, half the size of the Japanese, and a, a an armada, half the size of the Japanese, was victorious. And um, most of Fuchita's friends were killed in the Battle of Midway. Fuchida uh, was in the sick bay uh, on uh, one of the Japanese carriers. He had had an appendicitis attack and was was. Kicking himself that he couldn't go and participate in the Battle of Midway, but the point of all that is, his appendicitis probably saved his life. Um, and it, while all of his other friends were getting killed, he was stuck in a in a in a in a sick bay and was unable to participate in that that fight. Now, that is Mitsuo Fuchida. Now. Store him away for a minute. Let me tell you a little bit about Jake DeShazer. Jake DeShazer was born in 1912 in Oregon. His father died when he was two years old. His mother remarried. Um, she, she was a Christian and so was his stepfather. And he, he, he said, some of my earliest memories was my father my stepfather praying for me, et cetera. He said, but I, I wanted nothing to do with their religion, and I bolted p- from it pretty soon. Once I could get out of the house at age 18, he left the house, tried to get a job. It was the Depression. He couldn't get a job, and he ended up enlisting in the, in the military, and he became an airplane mechanic on B-25s. And so um, he said, the day that I heard uh, that the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor in, surprise, in a surprise attack, he said, the only thing that I could feel for the Japanese, was hatred and the desire for revenge. And so about that time, um, it was very important to the American psyche that we land a blow against the Japanese. And so a a man whose name will live for in American history for a long time, if you don't know this name, you ought to, his name is Jimmy Doolittle. And Jimmy Doolittle was a was a flying ace. He had was the first in, to do a loop. He was the first to cross the, the United States in less than 12 hours. He was the first to, uh, to land purely by instruments. He was a real uh, flying ace. And so uh, they put together, the Navy put together a plan to take the, the, the battle to the uh, uh, Japanese homeland. And so they put together some, some mid-sized bombers, B-25s. And they were, they trained to have these B-25s take off from carrier decks, which had never been done before. In fact, they, uh, these planes were too heavy to, to launch from carriers. They were too big. And so they, they, they trained and trained. But anyway, once he heard of this, I mean, uh, Doolittle, knowing that most of these pilots were going to be killed in this, this attack, uh, asked for nothing but volunteers. But Jake DeShazer, who was so caught up with hatred and revenge on the Japanese, volunteered, and he began to be trained as a bombardier on one of these B-25s. Sixteen B-25s uh, on the uh, on the deck of the Hornet, the USS Hornet, um, in in April. Um, I forget the date. April, early April, April the 18th. 16 modified B-25s um, began their effort to take off. It never hadn't been done before, folks. Um, Jimmy Doolittle was the lead plane. And of course, the further you got back, the more space you had to take off. He had 467 feet of runway to get that thing fully loaded. Um, fully loaded off the deck of a carrier in high seas. It had never been done before and so um, um, I mean this is the stuff out of which drama is made I love this kind of stuff but anyway uh, they said that um, what they did is that they tried to time the the takeoffs as the as the ship was going like this and they tried to catch it so when it was coming up so that it would kind of act as a catapult to get the planes up. Well, everybody held their breath as the lead plane uh, piloted by Jimmy Doodle was about to take off 467 feet uh, with, um, with four bombs and um, anyway, he took off, and of course, as you know, he made it. So 16, 15, 14 planes followed him, and Jake Deshazers was the last plane. He was the bombardier on the last of the 16 planes to take off. Um, one of the navy men on the uh, on the aircraft carrier slipped before they took off and backed into one of the propellers, losing his arm. And he said, "Our pilot was so upset by the by what he had watched take place right there on on, on deck." That when he took off, he made a mistake and pulled the wrong lever or something like that, and so when when they took off, they they didn't get airborne and they they fell off the end of the um, the uh, the carrier, but some way the the pilot was able to right the ship and soon enough his B-25 got airborne and all sixteen of them made them off that made it off that carrier, all sixteen of them. But the problem was, they were launched some 500 miles from the from the coast of Japan. The um, the fuel limitation of a B-25 was 500 miles. So the so the plan, and everybody knew the plan, <coughs> was that they were to go, they were to drop their bombs, and then they were to ditch the planes and hope for the best. Hopefully they could make it across the uh, whatever that uh, body of water is between Japan and China. They could crash land in in China. And they could be captured by Chiang Kai-shek's troops. And as you know, Chiang Kai-shek was battling the Japanese as well. So um, they all, they achieved complete surprise. 13 of the B-25s headed to Tokyo. Three of the B-25s, one headed to Kobe, one to Nagasaki, and one to... um, Oh, it's not important. Uh, another one of those Japanese cities. They had four bombs is all they had. And the, the damage inflicted really wasn't that great. But the psychological wound that was inflicted in Japan, because in essence, Doolittle was saying, here's what's coming. We're coming after you. And the the morale of the United States was lifted, and, and uh, people have just have, have pointed to the Doolittle raid as the as, the, uh, as a point of the, the first taste of victory in World War II. Well, 16 planes, 16 B-25s, all head to Japan. They got a 500-mile limitation, and they're 500 miles out. They get over their sights, and all 16 of them were able to drop their, their, their bombs. And so they started heading for China. Um... Uh all 16 of them, one was diverted to Eastern Russia. And by the way, that crew was captured by Russians and was not released until like 1952. But um the other 15 planes made it to mainland China. They all crash-landed. In one of the crash landings, um, three of the po- three of the people were killed, three of the crew was were killed. And um One crew from one of the B-25s was captured. Eight of them. There was eight men crews. And that, that crew was captured. The rest of them got away, were uh, met up with Chiang Kai-shek's troops, including Jimmy Doolittle, and they were, they were uh, allowed, they were helped out of the country through India and through Burma, and and they made it back to fight again. But the crew that was captured was Jake de All eight of them. They were immediately uh, charged with with murder, and three of the eight were immediately murdered uh, or shot by the Japanese authorities. They were taken to Japan. They were all given the sentence of death, and Hirohito commuted their sentence to life imprisonment. The five that were still alive, um, Jake DeShazer being one of those five, were then shipped to China and kept in a prison of war camp in China goodness. Um, While they're as a prisoner of war, um, you can imagine, and and very frankly, guys, there's some of the details here of the torture methods that were used, Um, you really don't want to hear them. But not only were they they put on a starvation diet, there were things that were done to them that you really don't want to know. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that might keep the tender souls up. So I won't tell you, but they were they were they were terribly mistreated. I, I don't know whether you know something about the World War II, but um, uh, Japanese prisoner of war camps were far worse than German prisoner of war camps. Like nine um, percent of German war camps uh, of our prisoners were or died in prisoner of war camps of Germany. Like 43% died in Japanese war camps, <clears throat> but anyway, Jake DeShazer was a prisoner of war in China, kept by the Japanese. In December, they were captured in April. In December of that year, one of the prisoners, and uh with the, one of the five remaining, who was a lieutenant, his name, his last name was Meter, was was killed. He was he died from um, the the mistreatment that uh, they were inflicting on him, and so that meant there were only um there were only four left, Jake being one of them. And the four of them were allowed to look at the dead lieutenant before they cremated his body. Um, the lieutenant, his name was Meter, I think I said, uh, died uh, with a Bible on his chest. Where that Bible came from, I, the story didn't say it, I don't know. But um, he died with a Bible in his chest, and so the, the the other four were allowed to see him as they cremated him. And that began a series of things in Jake Deschazer's life that were um, that can only be explained by the hound of heaven chasing after Jake DeShazzar. He uh, he began to think of what Meter had said to him about that Jesus Christ was the uh, was the Son of God and the, the the Lord of Life and the and the coming King. And so he began to and so he be, he, he begged his his um, his captors um, to give him a Bible one of the Japanese captors um, in May of 1944 now, so he's been in he's been in captivity for 42 months in May of 1944 well that's not true that's uh, because he wasn't really, he wasn't liberated until 45 but so this is a year before his liberation. in May of 1944 one of the guards brings him a Bible and says you can keep it for three weeks while he is reading that bible he says only days before they were supposed to take it back he comes upon romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. and in the grand providence of god god used this text that we're going to start studying next week use this text to convert to convert jake deshazer Um, he said, I began to find that my whole attitude about my my captors changed. And he said, I even found myself praying for them and and developing a loving pity towards them. Um, And while he's still in prison, he says to God, in fact, he says, I began to love my captors. That's a quote. But during that period, that last year, he made a vow to God that if he were to survive this experience, that he would come back to Japan as a missionary. Um. In May of no, in April of 1945, American paratroopers dropped in on the prisoner of war camp and liberated it, and they found uh, you know these four prisoners that were left, among others. Um almost having starved themselves, or the Japanese almost having starved them to death. But they rescued them, and then over time, Jake fully recovered from all of the um, his mistreatments. He comes back to the States, attends Bible college, he meets the woman that he marries there, her name is Florence, and they begin to plan their return to Japan. In 1948, the year of my birth, <laughs> in 1948, Jake and Florence de DeShazer arrived in Yokohama wondering how the Japanese were going to respond to them. Of course, by this time, the Americans have won the war and we've dropped two nuclear weapons on Japan and he's wondering uh, whether or not they're going to be safe and uh, how they're going to respond to this, this former prisoner etcetera etcetera um one japanese girl vowed to kill Jake DeShazer because she had heard that he was one of the crews one of the air crews that bombed Tokyo in 42 and her fiance was killed in that attack she came to one of Jake DeShazer's meetings she heard Jake DeShazzar preach the gospel, and in response, she becomes a Christian. That is, the woman that is going to kill, um, that wanted to kill Jake DeShazzar. Now, meanwhile, back to Mitsuo Fuchida. Fuchida um, came back to, this, uh, to his homeland, of course, after the war. Uh, he was a disillusioned. Uh, depressed, um, he came back to a land that had never been occupied by foreign troops. Um, his Hirohito, who he thought was a god, uh, was not a god. His his comrades had all been killed, and he <clears throat> he went. He started farming. It's the only thing he knew to keep him alive. He said, Fuchida said. Um, it was the worst days of my life. And in the midst of that, he was considering taking his own life. General Douglas MacArthur finds Fuchida and orders that Fuchida be brought to Tokyo to um, give testimony in um, in some war trials. <coughs> Fuchida comes to Tokyo by train. That would be wonderful. Um, Fuchida comes to, to Tokyo by train. He gets off the train at this train station in downtown Tokyo. And there is an American who is handing out tracks. The title of the track is... I was a prisoner in a Japanese prison of war camp. He takes the 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 um, the track that had been written by Jake DeShazer. He is overwhelmed with interest in the track. Reads the track. And comes to faith in Christ himself. About 18 months later. Mitsuo Fuchida. Meets. Jake DeShazer. And Jake DeShazer. And Mitsuo Fuchida. Preach in revival meetings. Side by side. Mitsuo Fuchida. Who led 330 Japanese aircraft over Pearl Harbor. And Jake DeShazer, who was a part of the Doolittle Raids in 1942, become fast brothers in Christ Jesus. Fuchida died in 1976. Before he died, he went back to Pearl Harbor to visit Pearl Harbor and this is what he said by the way he he came back to distribute Bibles and preach the gospel he comes back to Pearl Harbor and his message was this the first time I came I came with bombs this time I come with Bibles to tell you about Jesus Christ who is the only one who can explain what has happened to me. And that began, I guess it began, but it began when Jake the Shazer read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that we have the privilege of studying beginning next week. Because only the message of something like this can bring about the kind of transformation that I've just told you about. That was just too glorious to not tell you. And the fact that it included our text just made it all the more appealing to me. I hope that you can see the beauty, not only in the story, but the beauty in the text that we are going to dive into for five or six weeks, beginning next Wednesday night. That's good. Our Father, I do glory in what you did in saving both of those men. But you've done the same thing to so many of us. Maybe, our, uh, maybe we didn't fly planes over Pearl Harbor, but we were just as wicked. We were just as um, disillusioned. There has been perhaps as much hatred in us for somebody else as, as there was between a, an American and a Japanese. And because of this gospel that is defined and, and explained in Romans 10, we're new people. We're different people. We've been transformed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, um, along with those two men... Who found them their hearts knitted together because of a common Savior? We want to find the same thing happening to us. If there if there happen to be petty differences among us, oh God, forgive us, forgive us that we would hold grudges over things so superficial, over so tiny, over that are so small. When we watch as the gospel takes a Japanese pilot and an American bombardier and make them brothers. Lord, it's a kind thing that you did for them, but it's a kind thing that you've done for us. And we glory in the newness that that is ours because of the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit through the preached gospel. Now, Father, uh, might this um, text... Begin to stir us in such ways that we have never before imagined. And might it create within us appetites for a greater, for a life of greater and greater holiness? We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.